Stephen, for being here with us. Uh, those online, we appreciate you. We appreciate you. I need more monitors this morning. Uh, we appreciate you being here and we thank God for you too much. Bring me down. And uh, I want you to go to the book of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. The book of Philippians uh, chapter 2 this morning. Um, as we go there in the Word of God, I want to uh, thank you this morning for your continual faithfulness, your liberality, your support, your encouragement, uh, and all that you do for the glory and for the kingdom of God, your prayers. Uh, my prayer is that in all you do, as I said earlier, there are things you invite God into through your faithfulness that you cannot even understand. But God is a God who does the supernatural. And my prayer for you this time around, in this period of time, is that God will show up supernaturally in your life and in your circumstances and that God will supernaturally move in power and dominion for you in every arena of your life. And so you have my commitment. My wife and I are here. We pray for you every day. You hear me say that often, uh, but I mean what I say, and we do what we say uh, this morning. And so I encourage you, if there's anything else we can do for you, you, are just, uh, you can always pick up your phone, give us a call, uh, and let's believe God together uh, as we journey through this season. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, years ago, uh, in the Seattle Special Olympics, they had uh, an Olympic for youth, young men, young women to contest in. This story came out of the 1976 Special Olympic that happened in Washington. And uh, at the starting line, what happened is the moment the gun fired, these young men and young women began running down the track. Uh, they begin to make their best effort to run down the track towards the finish line. That was for all except for one young boy who stumbled soon after he started. He tumbled to the ground and he began to cry. Two of the other racers, hearing the cries of the boy who fell, slowed down. They looked back at him. Then without hesitation, instead of going ahead, running forward, they turned around and began running towards that boy. And while the other contestants struggled to make it to the finish line, the two who had turned around to run in the other direction reached for the boy, helped him to his feet. And all three of them linked arms. Together they walked to the finish line. And by the time the trio reached the end, everyone in the stands was standing and cheering, some with tears rushing down their faces. Even though by turning back and helping the boy who fell, they lost their own chance to win the race. They all had smiles on their faces because they knew they had done something right. And I want to talk to you this morning for just a few moments about the subject of encouragement. William Arthur Ward said these profound words. He says, flatter me and I may not believe you. 
criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. I want to talk to you this morning a sermon I've called The Ephaphroditus Effect. And I know that sounds like a medical, psychological, insane term, but it's actually the name of a man in the Bible. And I want to talk to you about this man because when you read about this man, this man did quite little in the eyes of most people. But yet he played a significant role in the eyes of Paul's ministry. And I want to talk to you this morning about this man out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. You see, Paul was a friend in need, and Paul was a friend indeed. A society that shuns away, beloved, that shuns away from high maintenance relationship. We're afraid when someone needs something from us. We're afraid that during the season of pandemic, encouragement has become such a scarce thing. Yet the Bible, and I'll show you from Scripture in a moment, covers great ground concerning this very element. I'm not talking about encouragement as encouragement in itself. I'm speaking about very specifically this morning, encouraging one another. And I believe that encouragement, not flattery, is fuel for the soul. God wired us in such manner that we need to be an Ephaphroditus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. Let's read that together this morning as we journey along this message together. Philippians chapter 2, 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Ephaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto that. But God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So here we find a man that Paul is speaking about and you will never find another scripture besides in the book of Philippians concerning this man. Ephaphroditus was a man only found in Philippians chapter 2 and in Philippians chapter 4. Hardly mentioned, rarely spoke about, yet here's a man who we have hardly heard about, who was recognized and he was known by Paul as a brother, a fellow worker, and also a fellow soldier. This provides us, when we read Paul's comment 
This seems like Paul's caption concerning this man. This seems like Paul's uh, 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 noteworthy uh, uh, view about this man. And this provides us with a captivating idea of who this man Paul really spoke well about. He was, sig- he was significant, yet he was so insignificant. He took no limelight. This man took no recognition. He was not on the front line. No one knew him for the most part. Yet Ephaphroditus was instrumental to Paul's ministry as what? A fellow encourager. He ministered, the Bible says, to Paul's needs in verses 25. To the Philippian church, they saw Ephaphroditus as a mere messenger. This man was just an ordinary messenger. He was a package delivery man. He would bring letters from Paul who was in prison in Rome at that time. He was homebound. Paul was at home arrest and he would bring letters from Paul and bring them over to the church in Philippians. And what they would do is they would begin to present this and Paul as an individual was seen to appreciate this man beyond The church appreciated him. The Bible says that Paul called him a brother. Can we go ahead and put verses 25 up? Paul called him a brother. This means that to Paul, Ephaphroditus was like family. There was a deeper union. There was a deeper relationship he had with this man. It was not just uh, an ordinary uh, person. He was someone who had significant influence, significant role who he, he played in Paul's life. He basically was a man who belonged to the same. He was a fellow brother. He was a fellow worker. A man who labored towards the same goal. Paul had been on house arrest for a while in Rome now. And the same desire that Paul had, Ephaphroditus carried with him. The intention of taking this message from, the, from Rome to the church in Philippi was not only Paul's desire, but it was also Ephaphroditus' desire, which tells me that he was a co-laborer. He was a man who was laboring alongside with Paul. He was not interested in getting the limelight. He was not interested in getting recognition. He was not interested in being acknowledged by people as the superhero he simply wanted to take the back seat and say you know or rather not the back seat take the the a step back from the main limelight and say you know what this is paul's response and my call is to support this man he labored with paul he also was a fellow soldier which tells me this morning that he shared in the same trials that Paul experienced. He was a fellow fighter of the faith. He didn't just give up when things got hard. He didn't quit running the race when things got difficult. Ephaphroditus often goes unnoticed, but I say to you, he was the backbone to Paul's ministry. And I say to you, beloved, that Ephaphroditus's We need some Ephaphroditus in the house of God and in the kingdom of God.
people who may not say much, but yet you know that they will strength, support, and comfort to the church. The church is in need of Ephrodotus. The church this morning, as a believer, we need people who will have concern like Ephrodotus for the church, whose ministry may not be seen, whose ministry may not be spoken about, yet their ministry significantly impacts the body of Christ. I say to you right here, listen to me very carefully. If Ephrodotus did not take those letters from Paul while he was on house arrest, the church in Philippi would have not received the manuscripts that Paul had written. So let's talk secondly then about being an encouragement. Because being an encouragement is a biblical mandate. Amen. Okay, one person agrees. I hope by the end of the sermon, the rest of you would. But it's a biblical mandate. And it is found all through Scripture. And whether we like it or we don't, this is where I really want to preach to you this morning. Whether we like it or not, it is our responsibility as believers to be, a, to be an encourager. There was a story about a group of frogs. I know this is fictional, but you know what? It's a good story. There's a story about a group of frogs who, were, who had fell through the woods. And two of them fell into a deep pit. When the other frogs crowded around the pit, and they saw how deep the pit was, they told the two frogs that there was no hope left for them. However, the two frogs decided to ignore the voices that were coming from the top where the rest of them were saying, no hope, no hope. They decided to ignore what the other frogs were saying and they kept trying to jump and jump and jump to get out of the pit. And despite of their efforts, the group of, the, uh, the group of frogs at the top of the pit were still saying, they should just give up, just die. You're not going to make it out of this hole. The other frogs continued to jump as hard as he could. Eventually, one of, the, one of the frogs jumped so hard that he fell through and he fell to his death. So one frog fell, there was only one left. The other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. Again, the crowd of frogs yelled at him from the top and said, Just give up, man. You're not going to make it. Just die. Just, just, just end it all. It's over. Eventually, the frog, that one single frog that was left, jumped harder. He jumped even harder and eventually he made it out. When he got out, the other frog said, Did you not hear us? We told you give up, just die. The frog explained to them, he was deaf. He thought, he thought, he thought that he would, they were cheering and encouraging him. And sometimes you have to shut your ears to discouragement. You hear people, there are lots of people. I read a quote this week. Someone said, you know what? There are more critics in the world than encouragers. There are more people who will tell you why you cannot do it. But every success story that I've read have always had their critics, but they've always closed their ears to the critics and that's why they make it in life. Because they choose to say, you know what? Regardless of what you say, I can do this. And I want to talk to you about that for a few moments, being an encouragement. Because oftentimes, so little is placed, so little emphasis is placed on the subject of encouragement. 
And that is often the neglected reality. We see this term encouragement as a mere optional feature, a character instead of an act of obedience. I'm not an encourager, we say. I'm not a person who likes to speak words of encouragement. And so you don't expect me to encourage anybody. But listen carefully to me, beloved. It is not an optional feature in the Christian life. More than ever, it is now that every Christian should embrace and come to realize that when I'm encouraging someone, I am responding as an act of obedience to God. This is a mandate. Christians are not supposed to be discouraging people. And I'll talk to you about what it means to discourage or encourage because flattery is not encouragement. Okay, we'll talk about flattery in a moment. But I'm talking about encouragement. It is an act of obedience, beloved. That means it is my duty as a Christian to encourage someone. It is my duty as a believer to encourage It is my duty as a believer to say, you know what, I want to be a blessing and to encourage someone. And as we do that, beloved, we want to establish this faucet right here. And we want to understand what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. Look at that passage with me. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting. The word exhorting means encouraging one another. See, I'm not talking about encouraging. I'm talking about encouraging one another. It's, you know, talking about being an encouragement is one thing, but being an encouraging, encouraging one another is is a whole different dynamic. And the Bible says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11, the Bible says, Therefore comfort each other, edify one another, just as you also are doing. Romans chapter 1, 11 to 12, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, and that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Jeremy, you don't have that scripture? Okay. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily. Again, the word exhort. Encourage one another daily. When it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So here we find in scripture, beloved, a repetition, an establishing of the truth that the Bible says this is what Christians ought to be doing, encouraging one another. This is what the Bible mandates for us to do and yet so little is mentioned about it in our generation and in our time today. It is evident that, beloved, it is such a needed nutrition to the human being. I'm reading a book now. I'm actually reading a couple of books. I'm reading a book by uh, um, Dale Carnegie. It's an old book. But I tell you what, you want help 
Influencing and Winning Friends. I'm telling you, that's a great, great book. He talks about how you need to express appreciation, encouragement, and how this notion of encouragement, and he speaks about precedence, like Nancy, later down the road, you will read about Nancy Reagan, who became such an instrumental figure to her husband, the 40th president, Ronald Reagan, how she was a great encouragement to him. And how, she be, how he became who he was to be because of the words of encouragement. Encouragement changes people. When you speak words of encouragement to someone, it changes them. Try speaking words of encouragement to a young man instead of calling them stupid. You don't know, ah? I'm telling you, if, if you try to speak some words of encouragement, it will change their life. It's a principle. That's why Jesus says, Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Today, we have what is known as reserved encouragement. You know what reserved encouragement means? It means if you do something that is not up to my standard, I say nothing about it. I will never compliment your effort. I will never compliment or say anything nice. Only if you impress me, only if I'm amazed at how good you did, then and only then, I will say something nice about it. Can I help you this morning? Praise can be fake. You don't praise someone for doing something wrong. Wow, so good, are you? No. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know, you tried their food and then you know like, wow, very nice, but actually you like, don't do that. But you can always find a reason to say good effort. Thank you. Great job. Doesn't taste the best. I tell my wife that. I said, I don't like the food today. She, she knows. But I said, but whatever it is, thank you. <laughs> because an encouragement makes a difference in someone's life. And sometimes we reserve ourselves so much because we have such a high standard. But when we speak words of encouragement, it, it can make a difference. And encouragement can always be expressed, beloved, in a discerning and appropriate way. They may not have done their best, but you know what? We can encourage them for trying and putting in Effort. There are times my son would come to me and he'll say, Daddy, look at what I did. I say, son, this, it's not, not great. You can do a lot better, but good job nonetheless. Because the truth is, I know he can do better. I know by standard, that's not my, the best my son can give me. But I'm not going to just condemn him and say, useless guy, get lost. Go do again. Instead, I turn around and I say, look, good job, good try. But this is not the best. You can do better. I know that. And I expect to see better. Because encouragement has a way of garnering their attention. Ephaphroditus simply expressed encouragement to Paul by being a support to a man who was bound, incapable 
of moving. That, that was all Ephaphroditus was doing. He simply expressed encouragement to him. This man was bound. He was in, on house arrest. I was reading a story about a man in America many years ago. This was in the late 70s or 60s. He, he, was, he was not an, an, an expert on his field. But what the president did at that time is he positioned this man and said, you know what, there's a steel company that I want you to be working for. And he put this man as one of the, uh, the, the, the top individual in that company. He put him as a corporate figure in that company. Why did he do that? When we begin to read and we understand this man had no experience in the steel industry, no experience at all. But you know what this man knew about him, the president of the company knew about him? He knew that this man knew how to deal with people. And because he knew how to respect people, he knew how to encourage someone, he knew how to speak to people, he had people who would get the job done because he had people's skill. And that truth right here resonates even with us in God's kingdom. That when you understand the importance, like Ephaphroditus, of being an encourager, he wasn't flattering Paul. Let's talk about that. He was not flattering Paul. He was encouraging Paul. In Paul's struggle, in Paul's suffering, he wasn't falsely or pretentiously trying to take Paul's mind of the reality. So what is flattering? Flattering is insincere praises. Encouragement is sincere. There's a vast difference. People flatter a lot today. Why do they flatter? To get something from the other person. Wow, you look so beautiful today. <laughs> Why they flatter? Most, most of the time we hear people flattering us. We don't even know how to differentiate between flatter and encouragement. There is a distinct difference, beloved. One is sincere, one is insincere. And I'm going to break it down for you, give you three things that I believe describes encouragement. What is encouragement? And why, does it, why is it set so far apart from flattering? You've got to learn to differentiate them. Much of the world flatters. They don't encourage. You hear people come up on TV and they flatter you. You're very strong people. Flatter you just so you feel good. Right? We know that in a short period of time, they're going to come out and maybe give you some treats. Flatter you to make you feel good. So you love the, the government maybe. <laughs> they know how to play. They know how to flatter you. They know what to do. They know that tonight if they come out and they say, so sorry, you know, and show a face and flatter you. And you know, you know, you people, Malaysians are so resilient. You're so strong. You're so virtuous and all that. And then we all, hati sudah lemau. They know how to flatter you. They're two different things, beloved. The church is not called to flatter. The church is called to encourage. The word encourage simply is, as we study it together, three things I want to leave with you. Encouragement is always based on truth. Based on truth. That's what encouragement is. John 8.32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So I don't stand here as your pastor to flatter you. 
to make you feel good, to pat you on the back and then make you hide away from reality. Ephaphroditus didn't flatter Paul and say, Paul, bro, 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 don't look at your pain, man. Just look elsewhere. He didn't do that to Paul. He didn't take Paul away from his reality. It'll be nice if you walk to a doctor and then the doctor said, you know what, maybe you're at stage 4 cancer, but the doctor said, ah, nothing, don't worry about it, you're going to be okay. Uh, you know, nothing to be alarmed about and he just flatters you and just makes you feel good. You know that, beloved, for a while you may feel okay, for a while it may be okay, but as time goes on, the reality of what's inside of you is going to eat you up. Encouragement is based on truth. Yes, it's not the best food I've eaten. Yes, but you know what? Great job. Thank you for the effort. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for giving me food. Thank you for caring. Thank you for this. It's an encouragement that you know what? It may not be the best, but guess what? It's the truth. People like to be flattered today. But the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let me ask you a question. I was going to ask this question at the end of the day, at the end of the sermon, but let me ask you something. In this past year, we've gone through COVID for a year plus now. Who has truly, genuinely encouraged you? Don't talk about flatter. Because a lot of people like to say good stuff Oh, you know, I care for you and, and uh, all of that. B because they get something from you. That's what flattering is. Who has truly encouraged you? Told you the truth? Hardly, right? Because it's so scarce today. See, you ought to be coming to church because the church encourages you, not flatters you. The second thing that I find about encouragement is encouragement is selfless. Being flattery makes us feel better about ourselves. When I promote someone and I talk to someone and I tell them, you know, what a great person they are and so on and so forth, you know, sometimes it comes without genuineness because it only makes me feel better. Ephaphroditus, while he was sick in verses 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And I realized that here's a man in the state that he's in. He is sick. He is not bringing uh, uh, Paul, you know, these messages. He's not bringing encouragement to Paul because he feels at the peak of life. He is doing this at a time when he was about to die. He is sick. I say to you, the, the, word, the word encouragement and the virtue of encouragement is undergirded by love. We have to teach our children to differentiate between flatter and encourage. You know how many young girls fall trapped to a man who flatters them? Oh, you're so beautiful. Look at your eyes. Look at your face. They flatter them. And men know how to do this. 
They flatter. They know what to tell you. They know how to say it. They know how to gain, to gain you. And then you know what? Our girls, our young daughters, you know, begin to listen to that and say, Oh, he loves me so much, Daddy. He wants me to marry him and all that. But it's all but flattery. Much of the church world is filled with flattering. Preaching is filled with so much of flattering. You're going to be okay. And we flatter people to make them think they can do anything and God is going to help them. See, flattery is not selfish. It's selfless. Sorry, encouragement is not selfish. It is selfless. I encourage you not because I get something from you. I encourage you because I want those words to help you. What do I get from it? Nothing. I don't say these things to benefit myself. I say it because I want you. You see, this is such a self-seeking generation. They are often nice because they want something from us. Philippians 2.26, beloved, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Look at that. Here's Ephaphroditus. Here's a man, beloved, longing for the people, longing for the church, longing. He was distressed because he heard that you knew he was sick. Philippians 2.27, For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also. So secondly, encouragement is selfless. The third thing, and we bring this down, encouragement glorifies God. Let me explain to you. See, as believers, biblical encouragement goes beyond complimenting how someone looks. Amen. Very nice dress or very nice shirt. Wow, you look good. Nice haircut. The question is, as Christians, you and I are called to encourage someone to a degree that it brings glory to God. In other words, my mode of encouragement should point people to God. I'm going through a tough time, but look, listen, let me encourage you. We serve a God who will help you. We serve a God who will never break His promise. We serve a God who knows what you're going through. Every encouragement that proceeds out of my mouth must point people to God. And I'm not talking about the day-to-day encouragement. I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about what does Christian encouragement look like. In Colossians chapter 4 verses 8, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Colossians 4, 8. Sending him to you for this purpose, that he may know your heart. So every encouragement glorifies God. It points people to God. God is going to help you. That's an encouragement. Let's close then. Because expressing encouragement can save someone's life. There was a painter by the name of John Sargent. Some of you may know this man in the year of late, um, you probably don't anyway, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. This man was a painter. I read his story and I was very impressed. He was in fact one of the most successful painters of his era. He had painted about 900 different oil paintings. But one of the things that John Sargent had encountered years before he became successful 
was that he painted this small picture, a panel of roses on this, on, on this canvas. And what happened was, they began to look at this painting and they began to say, you know, John, that is a very nice painting. And they started encouraging John. They started saying things that were so... I mean, before this, people criticized his artwork. People said, what a lousy painter you are. You know, you know you, you, you're, you're not called to paint. You're not gifted to paint. You know, why are you even bothered to do this? But he had this small little photo, or read a small little image. He painted on a canvas and he began to get lots of appreciation and encouragement for it. Down the road, many, many people offered John money to buy that painting. But John Sargent said, no, I'm not going to sell that painting. He painted for a living, but he said, I'm not going to sell that painting. And later in his biography, the story came out that the reason John Sargent chose not to sell that painting was because every time he looked at it, at his lowest moments in life, at the moment when he was most discouraged and the voices of his critics came to him, he looked at that painting and he reminded himself, I'm a painter and I can do this. It served as a reminder that all was not lost. You see, this is the innate principle of the human heart. We all need encouragement. You cannot run away from it. You discourage someone. You, you, you never appreciate or never encourage someone and you will see the, the effects of it rolling in. But let's talk about closing here with what are some of the ways we encourage uh, a, a person. If it wasn't for Ephaphroditus, let's close with this. Paul may have not made it. Paul would have never made it. When I read this passage, if it wasn't for this man... Paul may have given up. Ephaphroditus played a significant role by simply being an encouragement to Paul. And all through this passage, Ephaphroditus expressed his encouragement to Paul in three ways. Number one, his action. Your action can present encouragement to someone. His action of taking the manuscripts from Paul and delivering it to the church served as an encouragement. He took this, he worked, he labored alongside. And Paul said, this is a fellow laborer. He didn't just sit around and say, you know what, let Paul be on his own. He labored alongside. That served as an encouragement to Paul. His action, his involvement, he served a man who shared Paul's heart, a man who shared Paul's passion, a man who shared eagerness with Paul to have that action carried out, conveyed his involvement and support. The word minister, and this is for all of us here, the word minister <laughs> is supposed to mean laborer and worker. Okay? So it means when you're a minister, you serve. It means when you're a minister, that's what Paul is saying. He ministered to my need. Ministered. That means he served. He labored. He worked. Which means this man was a man of action. Ephaphroditus was a man of action. That's how you encourage someone. 
by being there in action, getting involved, doing something, being by their side. Can I tell you the number of times that my wife and I have been encouraged by you just simply acting out your faith and how it has done a, a, a wondrous thing in our heart, encouraging us, lifting us up. That, that has kept us a lot of times. The second way he encouraged and is through words. Words play a very significant role in bringing encouragement. Amen. The words you speak. And I'm certain that Ephaphroditus, a man which Paul spoke so well about, he indeed spoke words that lifted Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verses 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Ephaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He spoke words, beloved, words of encouragement. The third, re the third way you express appreciation or even encouragement is Ephaphroditus shows us that just by simply being present, he was an encouragement to Paul. You know, can I tell you, sometimes your presence itself encourages your children. Your presence itself encourages people around you. Your presence itself makes a difference that brings encouragement. You see, there are no words, no actions, but all through the scripture, what is very evident is Ephaphroditus was always there for Paul. And in that presence, he became an encouragement. Can I tell you, sometimes you don't hear God say anything. You don't hear God speak to you. You don't know if God is truly there. But can I tell you, when God's presence fills the room, it encourages you. It makes a difference. And these expressions undeniably save Paul's life. And I say to you, who knows the lives we will save by simply speaking words having deeds and being present. We live in a very criticizing, condemning, complaining generation. When these are present, encouragement becomes scarce. Cultivate a lifestyle this morning of encouraging one another. Compliment. Smile. I know we can't smile, we can't tell now, but the eyes can go up. Give me an eye smile. It makes a difference. It encourages. Send a text. Not on someone's birthday. Send them a text. Hey, I'm praying for you. I was thinking of you this morning. You know what encouragement that does to people? just want you to know that you're in my prayer. See, when you feel unappreciated, many people feel unappreciated. But don't, don't dwell in self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants to encourage me. Nobody. Listen, beloved. Often encouragement in our generation 
So many times you listen about encouragement and you hear people encouraging someone to do something evil, something bad, something that's not godly, something that's... But you know what? As Christians, we can be an encouragement to people to do the right thing. And that's the question right here I close with. How many people, how many people this year, don't talk about flattering, have truly sat down with you, looked you in your eyes, and made you feel that you're important to them. When I'm putting the sermon together, I was telling my wife, I said, I, 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 cannot, I, I cannot dismiss that question. That's why when, I'm, when I talk to people, I make an effort to have eye contact. Because it makes people feel different. People realize you're important. Put everything aside. You're important. It, it makes them feel like you have a listening ear. Whatever the problem, whatever the circumstance, whatever. And I ask you tonight, right now as we close, who has been that encouragement to you this last year? Who has truly shown concern for you? Not because they get something for it, but because you can feel stronger. Because that's what encouragement is, beloved. It's putting courage in someone. It's imparting courage into someone. And that's the question I close with. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Very simple thought today.